Well, uh, let me read one passage of the Bible that is really pertained to this particular Sunday. You know, uh, uh, we're going to read a passage from the Bible that is written in the book of John, chapter 20, verses 24. The book of John, chapter 20, verses 24, we're going to be talking about today or continuing the topic of the contagious Christianity. And we'll talk about the life's strongest motivation. We'll talk about the life's strongest motivation. We believe that everything we do, that everything that is going to happen with us, that absolutely everything that needs a motivation, and often it's going to be either an external or the internal one, or it could be even both. Could be even both. We'll re we will read this um, quote a little bit later, but as of right now, would you please open with me for a quick second the book of John, chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, where we're going to read this passage. We're going to read this passage as we're going to have this phrase on the screens for us. So, Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 24 through 25, uh, tw through 29, and this is the story. So, Jesus Christ rose again. You know, he told, um, he foretold about his resurrection on multiple accounts to the disciples, and then disciples knew that, but they could not believe that. Because when Jesus Christ was crucified, the disciples ended up uh, getting together in the upper room that are just about three days before that, they did the last, last supper with Jesus Christ. That's the communion, we call it. That's the time when Jesus Christ instituted the communion. He did it for the last time with his disciples. He told them again and again that he had to go to the Father. He was going to send the Holy Spirit. The life is going to be different, but God is still going to be with us. So with the disciples, it was difficult for them to understand it. So 11 of them are sitting in the upper room, uh, and Christ uh, showed, like, you know, kind of revealed himself. He showed up among them, and he said the phrase, peace be to you. Peace be to you. So he blessed the disciples. But one of the disciples, Thomas, wasn't there. Uh, some, he, he was probably running like, you know, some errands, trying to get some stuff going. Probably went to the, like, you know, to the Safeway, uh, Safeway or Fred Myers to get some food. I don't know. You know, I mean, what was the, like, the, like, the, the larger food chain, well, like in the grocery store back then? I don't know what he did. Maybe he went to the post office to send a text message to relatives. Maybe. I don't know. So what was happening that actually he's spending, I mean, he uh, ran away. Disciples witnessed Jesus being alive there. Just, oh, it's so great. Jesus is alive. It's amazing. So when Thomas came back, you know, comes back, the disciples told him, you know what, Thomas, you know, you are not going to believe this. You know, this is absolutely amazing. Jesus Christ rose again. And he probably had the same reaction that you guys have. Really? <laughs> no, he is there. But no, really? Okay, let me see what month it is. Oh, it's April. It must have been the April Fool's Day, right? You are probably pulling a prank on me. No, he actually reason. I mean, he's alive. Well, and then Thomas said some, some of the verses, well, not verses, the, some of the, the words that are very interesting. Let's read verse uh, 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, great. <laughs> not really. He said, well, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and, and, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. 
Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with, was with them. He's a great, I'm not going to leave you guys if Jesus is going to show up again. I mean, I want to be there, right? So, so that you wouldn't pull another prank on me. So Thomas was really good. Strategy going big time. So, I mean, he's with them, sitting there, having a time. Like, you know, and then, although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He did the same thing, and again, it's kind of interesting that Jesus Christ did the same thing to the ten disciples earlier, and he did the same thing to this particular disciple again. Because I would, I would love to say that God loves his people equally. He blesses people equally, right? He leads them to the same place. Leads them to the same place. He inspires people with himself equally. So there, he didn't get it the first time. Jesus Christ didn't cross him out. He said, I love you so much. That, and I will do the same thing so that you would know this is how it happened. And the disciples, like, you know, the other ten, they were, not, they were not making fun of you. They were not making fun of the situation, right? So he did it the same thing, the same way. And then, but now it's really different. Verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we see the greatest transformation that happened through Thomas in his life that he believed in a risen Savior. He believed in a risen Savior. He appeared to him the same way. And he appeared to us in the same way. We can trust him fully. And the question for us is, do we believe? Do we accept this fact? And by the way, Thomas is one of the stories that we talk about quite a bit on Easter. Because his change from him not believing that Jesus rose by recognizing him and stating the true, proclaiming the true nature of God. He said, my Lord and God. Lord and God. It was really interesting. You know, he rose again. People didn't do it. But, but Christ rose again. He was alive. People are not, people cannot go through the closed door. Have you tried it? Have you tried to run through the closed door? Yes or no? Oh, probably some of you have. I've done it before. You know, I especially, I especially don't like the, like, you know, those uh, glass doors, right? Like you know, the big ones that you think it is open, you just run. It's like, boom! Have you done that? If not, come to my house. Okay, we have a big door for you to run into. It's kind of interesting. And then, but it's kind of interesting. God even blessed some of the folks that we have in our church like, you know, to actually do this kind of stuff. So they are setting people up like myself into running to the glass doors. Well, thank you for that because otherwise it would be really cold and windy. Right? So I know God is going to be blessing your businesses. But at the same time that we actually look, we look in this, well, people don't do it like that. They don't, they don't rise again. And so Thomas said, after seeing Christ, he recognized that. Because there are so many proof of the resurrected Jesus. And it's up to people to either use that proof to believe or ridicule that proof to say it could not happen. Right? It just could not happen. 
But what happened that that time that Jesus Christ spent with Thomas became the greatest motivation for Thomas' life. Not only Thomas believed that Jesus Christ was the Lord and the God and the only God and the only Lord, he admitted, he professed that a couple of nights, you know, like 11 days before that, Jesus Christ said to Thomas that I am the way and the truth and the life and nobody comes to me, uh, nobody comes to the Father except through me. So for Thomas, it just started making sense. So he was so motivated by that. He was so motivated by heaven. Because Jesus Christ, like when he rose again, he didn't just rise again to live on earth. He was heaven bound. He was leading us to heaven. He was motivating us with heaven. He told the disciples in the gospel of John, if we're going to go just a couple of chapters before that to chapter 14. Verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, and we will see that. Uh, chapter 14, the Gospel of John, verses 1 and on. Jesus Christ, Christ talks to the disciples. He tells them this. He compels them with this and comforts them with this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If, there, if it were not so, I would I have told you that, uh, that I, go, uh, I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, where I am, he says, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And Thomas, boom, bingo, the same guy, right? Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And then we just already read this. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do not do know him and have seen him. He introduced, he blessed Thomas with seeing the Father through Jesus Christ, through himself. So Thomas was somewhat motivated by that. Thomas was, we call him the disbelieving Thomas, right? Well, you know what? I wish that every one of us would be like disbelieving Thomas. Not in a way renouncing him, but his life was so changed, so motivated by Jesus and the heavens and the future life and that Jesus Christ is leading us into the presence of Father that he became one of those greatest Apostles of Jesus Christ going as far as India, preaching the gospel, opening the churches. Some centuries later, some of those like, sailors that got to the tip, like to the south end of the India, and they wanted to see what people lived there. They thought it was a new world, right? But they saw some people, some of those, they were civilized, and they saw churches there as well and when they started tracing who brought the message of christianity to that place guess who that person was thomas more than that he was faithful he loved preaching the word of god he loved he loved spending time with jesus there was this particular place that he loved it uh, was spending that time in prayer and solitude with christ <clears throat> 
and praying and just spending spend the time. And then what happened that he was actually speared to death in that place. He was asked to renounce Christ. He didn't. And five soldiers lift him up on his spears and killed him this way. So he was faithful. Ten out of the eleven disciples were killed for preaching the gospel. And Thomas was one of them. So his dedication and commitment to Jesus Christ was absolutely beautiful. He was so motivated by Christ. He was so encouraged by heaven that his life was never the same. So we talk about motivation. And today we, uh, we, you know, we, we said that we're going to talk about the life, life's strongest motivation for us is that let me read a quick quote for us and we're going to go and study more that we're going to go back to the uh, to the first thessalonians yet that's the book that we studied together as the church we go through this contagious christianity that the beautiful church that was placed in the midst of difficult situation very perverse and liberal environment protecting its freedom but the church was growing and the message of christ was changing lives and the most beautiful element of the message of christ was his resurrection that he was leading people to the heavenly kingdom to heaven so let me state this we said it before i'm going to say it one more time so when it comes to motivation next slide is going to show that actually uh, 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 that every decision in life that we make like every decision in life that we make i mean there's a motivation for everything right and it, that it is, it is, could be, it is internal, it is either internal or external or both. We go through different motivations, right? We have, we know a lot of phrases how to motivate people and motivate to success. And I mean, I would love to read uh, very quickly for you some of the ones that I really like. So we'll, we'll go through some motivational quotes. The first one, stop saying I wish and start saying I will. Does it sound good? Yeah, so it's really uplifting and motivational. So the next one is going to be a little tough one, but nothing worth saying comes easy. You know, you need to be able to say the truth, and sometimes it's not going to be easy to say that. You will have to prove your standing on that. The third one is, is kind of cool. Don't be upset with the results you do not get with the work you did not, did, you did not do. You cannot get any results like, if you don't do anything to that. Another one would be kind of a cool one. Knowing and not acting will make, uh, and knowing and not acting will not make a difference. The, the fifth one, opportunity. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting one. You, you'll always miss 100% of the shot you don't take. That's it. I mean, you need to see that. You need to do something on that. You know, it's interesting. It's, it's a, like, you know, the friend of mine, a brother of mine left, like, in a couple of them, like, it's still in my office on the wall, sits, a couple of those phrases still sit there. Next one I love, too. If plan A did not work, the alphabet has 25 more letters, so stay cool. <laughs> you know, continue on. Don't give up. It's just kind of those opportunities. Another one. So a campaign is for a moment. Satisfaction is for life. It's another good one, right? So, I mean, hopefully you're kind of at least a little bit encouraged by, that, by those phrases. They're really motivational. They, would, they really inspire us to do something good. And probably some of them will be good for us to remember. You know, I really love the fact that we are not just like, you know, motivating ourselves, but we work together as a team. So I found a good description of the team that says, so team, it's together we, you know, it's kind of weird, together we achieve more, right? That's kind of cool. 
Okay, well, W skip, we're going to go to the E one. So we'll make kind of, kind of a team this way. Whatever, you know, we can do anything with the letters, right? Team, together we can do, we, together we can achieve more. Another one that I really like uh, is going to go deeper than Benjamin E. Mize or Mays says, said this. The strategy in life doesn't lie in not reaching your goal. The strategy lies, tragedy lies in having no goals to reach. You know, we need to set some, we need to be motivated by something. We need to have an attainable goal that we would love to strive to. Right, the, ne the, next, the couple of next ones are taken from the Bible, one of them by Apostle Paul. He, uh, we know this phrase, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Right, but we need to read that in the context that it says this, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And he says, in this context, I can do all things through him who, who strengthens me. You know, it's not of those good things that he put on your muscles and it's like, you know, like a, a tattoo thing says, I can do all things or put on your back or anything like that. You know, it's like, it's not that. It says, I can go through any life situation with Christ. That's the meaning of that. The last one that I would love to share with you, uh, Jesus Christ just kind of goes directly to the heart and he actually takes us even, I mean, outside or beyond our capacities. He says, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are what? Possible. Love that one. Just love that one. Motivational thing just to trust Jesus Follow him. And this phrase was said in the context of a person that wanted, wanted to be changed, wanted to be saved. And then Jesus was describing that, that, that when, we see, when we look at our lives, we cannot save ourselves. We need to understand that. We cannot save ourselves. You know, we can make our lives a little bit better or more comfort, comfortable or anything like that. But we cannot save ourselves. And he says, it's not a doom and gloom moment, right? It's not a dark moment saying, uh, that says, well, you cannot do anything. It's the great, that's the uplifting moment that says, but with God, you can do what? Everything. It's really, really uplifting. So we have motivation, and we are strived by mo motivation, right? Well, I mean, it's kind of it's interesting. There, I, I don't know. There's sometimes there is, could be like demotivators, but there was a story. I think I've shared with some of you several times, but that's the story. So Sunday morning, like an, a mom actually um, gave a call to, uh, to her son, and she was asking if this, uh, her son was going to go to church. On Sunday, so mom, uh, the son said, "Like, well, mom, you know what? I just kind of don't feel like it. So, can I, I'm probably gonna stay home this time." I said, "What, son? You know what? That's good. It's Sunday. You know, we need to go together. We're gonna be there together." He said, "You know what? I've been going to church every single Sunday, right? So it's so like you know, I've done it all, done so many times." He said, "But mom said, but it's gonna be all good. You know, you're gonna go to church. The life is gonna be better." And he said, "Okay, mom, give me at least one good reason why I need to go to church this Sunday." Well, and the mom said, well, first of all, you're a pastor of the church. <laughs> That's kind of cool. That's cute, right? So it's kind of a cool motivating factor. Well, you know, duh, you're a pastor of the church. Uh, you need to actually comply with your name or with your status, right? Be in church. Don't just try to not to go there. Don't find reasons not to. So there are different motivators that we have in life. You know, that was kind of a cute story. But in order for us to, like, you know, we always motivated 
by different things. And I personally found five different things, five motivators, right, or motivations for our lives. And they lie in different categories like this. So the first one is a gain or benefit. You know, we're motivated by a possible gain or a loss or a benefit. The second one is love or affection. So it has more of the social status to that. The third one, we're quite often motivated to do something, is by fear. Are we not? Yeah, sometimes we're, we, we're scared of like, you know, a certain outcome and we would not know what to do. So the fear, by the way, is a really strong motivator, right? So the fourth one is status or recognition. So how am I going to look good? Am I going to be recognized? If I'm going to accomplish something, will I be praised or not? Uh, so what am I going to get for, like, you know, from that? It's the status. It's the recognition. For that, I just um, would love to share a quick story for us to understand this particular one. There was a person who used to work as a secretary for quite some years, right? And so, and her employer um, was probably really a really clever guy, right? So, and then she, uh, she approached him one day and said, well, you know what, Mr. So-and-so, uh, I worked for you for so many, uh, so many years, and, like, you know, and I still have the title of, you know, of the secretary, and I still make this almost kind of minimum wage situation, so would you please give me a bit of a raise, right? And then it's that employer did a very, uh, very interesting move. He didn't give her a raise, but he gave her a new title. He actually, uh, he gave her new business cards that didn't say a secretary anymore, uh, but it said an executive assistant. An executive assistant. Does, does it sound better as a secretary? Yes or no? Oh, man, yeah, it's empowering. It's an executive assistant. Who are you? I'm not a secretary anymore. I'm an executive assistant, right? Come on. You know what I'm saying. Come on. So it's kind of interesting. But actually, and she kind of fell for that. She felt better for some, for, but for the next, uh, the, but the next paycheck, she realized that nothing has changed, right? But it's a different story. So, so status or recognition is one of the things that we do. Like, you know, if I'm going to be successful or not, if, if I'm going to be applauded or not. So then the next one, the fifth one, it's the long-term perspective. We're going to play for this one a little bit longer, and we'll, we'll see that this, the long-term perspective, that for the long-term perspective, very often, we may take a certain loss. Are we not? You know, if we, we, if we think that, okay, we need to, like, downsize in our house in order to be able to save up some money, maybe we're going to live this way for about three, four, five years, but then in a long-term perspective, we're going to be able to get something different. Right, so you you're gonna limit yourself for a quit, like for a, for a little bit, but our long-term perspective is beautiful. Then you are gonna be willing to sacrifice. Very important concept. Very important concept for the Christianity. By the way, that's something we'll talk about so much that God has given us an amazing long-term term perspective. It calls heaven. It calls eternity. Well, the long-term perspective for Christians is to live with God eternally in heaven. Great perspective or no? Well, absolutely amazing. Well, are we going to suffer a little bit as we go through life? Yes. Long-term perspective will lead us through difficult times presently. It will lead us through that, right? Very important to understand it. So what, what is happening that the church in Thessaloniki uh, was going through some difficult times. The church was oppressed. Uh, people were mocked. 
the Christianity was ridiculed, like crazy lunatics, la la, like happening there. I mean, how can you believe in Jesus who's going to tell you what to do? You should live the way you want to, not, not have anyone, anybody else to tell you how you ought to live, how you ought to live your life. So more than that, actually, there became a big ordeal for that, that the, uh, the Christians were persecuted, yet the church kept on growing. Yet the church kept on growing. And Paul talked about this. So we are opening the First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. This is what we're going to read right now. But actually, uh, well, before that, we're going to read a couple of verses from, the, uh, from, the chapter, from chapter 5. And it actually just says or defines, or kind of defines the longer-term perspective for us. So First Thessalonians chapter 5 Verses 8 through 10, it says, but uh, we're going to read this together. So uh, verses uh, 8 through 10, chapter 5. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breast, breastplate of faith and love and, and for a helmet of salvation, for, uh, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. So he says that right here, God is going to save us and make us be in His presence. So last week, and a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a life pleasing to God. So Paul talked about the importance for us as Christians, enjoy Christ, follow Him, to have a solid foundation for life, to live a great love, a life among the community and love each other and love people that we are surrounded by and love the enemies and love everybody and serve them. So he talked about that. He talked about that strong Christian life. And then he talks about the greatest motivator. He talks about the great motivation because he says, not only I'm going to tell you that what Christ told us to do, but he is uplifting us with himself. So we're, we're, we're going to look today at this motivational insert, uh, for the lack of the better term, that for us will even make Christian life more attractive and more beautiful. We're going to be able to see that long-term perspective even more clearly. And we will see that this passage, we will right now work with, like another passage from chapter 4, uh, verses 13 through 18. And we will talk about the motivation for the Christian living. We'll talk about the motivation for Christian living. Why do we need to live life following Jesus, right? And we will see several different accounts. From, for some of them, we'll go rather quickly. With the other ones, we will go a little slower. But I personally believe that we will benefit from this so much as the church. So we're going to read uh, verses 13 through 18 right now. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others, as others do who have no hope. For, sin, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him Okay, with him, those who have fallen asleep, or those people who died. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, 
who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, again, from that beautiful, amazing place. He did it before. He will do it again. Like from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so that we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Love that. When I read that, love makes so much sense. I'm inspired to continue on believing in Christ. I'm inspired to be a part of the church and being baptized and become a church member and love and give sacrificially and help other people. I'm inspired by that because my life is not limited by this, by this time on earth. My life is eternity, eternally bound. Eternity bound. Heaven bound. And this is so, so great. So uh, Paul introduces several things. He's talking about that motivations for the Christian living, that life of faith. But this particular passage, and we will see several things. Number one, the first motivation for Christian living is our life that secured life in the presence of God. Secured life in the presence of God. We just read it in, in verse 17. It says that then who are alive, you are left, who are, and those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so that we will always be with the Lord. So our lives are secured in Christ. Our lives are secured in heaven. Our lives are secured in heaven. We read this before. I started off reading uh, as we got together from the book of Ephesians chapter 2. I mean, we just read this description about God's love. Chapter, Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. So our lives belong to Jesus. Our future is already secured in Him. And He says, this is the greatest motivator. So whatever happens, it means that if God wants me to be in heaven and my life is, my life is secured in heaven, by the way, it doesn't mean that we, need, that we can do the sins of our choices, right? Paul, in a different place, in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he told about this. So should we continue in sin so that there will be more of grace of God? He says, no more. He says, forget about it. He says, are you crazy? How can you be this way? Christ saved us so that we would be like Him, with Him, in Him, in heaven. Not so that you can go down, go low, live the sinful life. He says, this is so absolutely ridiculous. It's not going to work this way. We're placed in heaven. Our life is, so, uh, is secured in heaven by Christ, in Christ, and for Christ. 
So we love this aspect, and we see it beautifully. So the second one, okay, and we'll, we'll be spending more time in different times, right, in, in different series, talking about more of these okay, no, uh, elements. But we need to remember, the first motivator, secured life in the presence of God. This is what we have. Number two, spending eternity with believing loved ones. That's going to be the one that we'll, probably, we'll spend a little bit more time on this right now. So we just read verse 17, we just read verses 13 and 14. I'm going to read it again. But we, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, that those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring him those who have fallen asleep, so that we... So this would declare, this would declare, in verse 17, then we are who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them, with the people who died before, our loved ones who died before, in the clouds, to meet with the Lord in the air, so, and so we will always be with the Lord. Jesus says this, and uh, this, that's going to be probably a little bit difficult for us to kind of comprehend and to maybe to even grasp that idea. But he says, first of all, if anybody believes in Jesus Christ, that person has eternal life. Amen? It's, it says in, like in John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son, in Jesus Christ, as the Son of God, right? Whoever believes in Jesus Christ has eternal life. Who does not believe in the Son will not see the life. So we believe that when we believe in Christ, we know that when we believe in Christ, we will be with Him. So this is our personal conviction. But we're going to go a little bit further. What about the people that we love? Our families, right? Our family members. What about our friends? What about our coworkers? What about the people that we care for? Okay? So what's going to happen with them? And the Bible is really clear. If you believe, if, the, if people believe in Jesus Christ, they will be with him forever in heaven. This is a down situation. And if you have, if you have relatives who are committed and growing and looking at serving Jesus Christians... They pray for you, and if you do not believe in Christ, or you, um, you, you, uh, you, like you stand on a shaky ground, right? You know that you love ones. They pray for you, and they ask Jesus to save you, and to make you strong, and to follow Him, and to, to repent of your sins, and to be baptized and follow Jesus, to become a church member, and grow together with the church. You are being prayed for. And also, we do the same thing. We pray for our loved ones, for our brothers and sisters, moms and dads, wives and husbands, like nieces and nephews, uncles, and the list goes on, right? So basically, when we say we pray for them, this is our passion and desire. And if you're here, okay, if you're here, please, okay, if you believe in Christ, please pray for your relatives so that Jesus would save them. Because if you love them so much, don't love them just here on earth. Love them to eternity. Want to see them in eternity. And if you really want to see somebody in eternity with you, you know what you need to do is to share the gospel with them. 
to pray for them, to help them, to go with them, and to grow with them, and just be with them, and help them. So this is why we're so motivated. But this is another situation that probably was going to be a little bit tougher. And let me address that by reading a lengthier passage of the Bible that is written in the book of Luke. And the question that we'll talk about, it's, uh, by the way, it's Luke chapter uh, 16. Would you please open with me a really important uh, passage that we're going to read right now. And we'll, we will see different elements, uh, or we will see the answer like, to our question. So what's going to happen? What about the, uh, our loved ones who died and did not believe in Christ? And some people would say, you know what, it doesn't really matter for me where I'm going to spend the eternity, either in hell or in heaven, but I just wanted to be together with my loved ones, right? Well, let's see what happens. Let's see how God gives us the answer, what answer he tells us so that we can, we can see the reality. So we're going to read Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 31. And there was a rich man, by the way, by the way, sometimes we think that actually it's a parable. And uh, there are so many parables in the Bible where Jesus just gives an illustration, right? And we would see, like, you know, that it would start off as a, a parable of the, um, of the prodigal son, right? A parable of the sower who actually went and, like, you know, like, you know, planted the seeds. This one is not addressed as a parable, so when Jesus Christ, uh, Christ tells this story, he tells the story of something that really took place, okay? So we read an actual account, not a made-up story, an actual account of what was happening. There was a rich man who was clothed in uh, purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his, gate was, uh, at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to the Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child. Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like, in like matter bad things. But now he is com comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this between us, I'm going to start, start again 26. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed. In order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him who to send to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. 
And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said, and he said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither they will be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. It's a really painful story, by the way. Let me give you a couple of facts about this story. It's interesting that when rich man died, and by the way, it's, it's not to say that Christians cannot be rich, okay? So it's not to say that. It's just an illustration. So the, people, the person who lived just for himself, and he lived that life, he enjoyed that life, okay? So he, he lived it to the fullest, and he was enjoying himself. He was like in lavishing. It was everything about him. So he kind of lived it to the fullest. He lived the life, the life he wanted to. He did not believe in Jesus Christ. And when he got there, he was not the only person in, like in Hades, right? He was not the only one, but he's not mentioning anybody with them. So let me tell you right now from, from this place and other places that hell, even though there will be many people there, they're anguished and being tormented, but that's the place where you are, the place of loneliness, it's the place where you are going to be tormented by yourself at the same time when others are going to be going through the same thing, okay? So when, Jesus, so when the rich man was there, he said, you know, this is my situation. When he saw Lazarus, he didn't, saw, didn't see Lazarus by himself. He saw another figure. Who was there? Abraham, right? So there was a community, so heaven is on the other side is a place where a lot of people are going to be together and they will have a community. They will have the relationship. Again, many people in hell, but loneliness. Many people in heaven, but community, fellowship, joy. And so with the person, it's interesting that the rich man is not blaming God and said, well, I am here unjustly. He knew exactly the reason why he was there, okay? He was not coming up with any excuses. He was not blaming God, blaming Jesus, blaming Christians, blaming anybody. He knew exactly why he, uh, what he was doing there. He asked for help, but he was given the answer that you are not going to get the relief. And that relief would be eternal. And that anguish, I mean, that anguish, the hell will be eternal. You will stay in this state forever. But then he, he's splitting what? He's splitting, Father Abraham, would you please send Lazarus back? Because they know him. He's from my hometown. He's my, like, he's my homeboy, right? So he's from, from my hometown. He's there. I mean, he would go there and they would listen to him. Abraham said, there is no way because the Moses and the prophets, they, were, they testified of Jesus Christ. He, he's not, he, they're not going to believe. They are my five brothers. And this is what rich man says. Check this out. He says, I don't want my brothers to be here. I love them so much that I'm screaming. I'm just like, you know, I'm just trying to raise my voice. And I say, my brothers, I love you so much. Please don't be here. Don't be here. So if you question the fact what's going to happen with the people, with the loved ones who did not know Jesus Christ, if they did not repent, repent, that's unfortunately, but they are going to be in hell forever. But they're screaming, they're pleading, 
Try to imagine their faces right now. The people who died without knowing Jesus Christ. And see them. And hear them say, please believe in Lord Jesus. And don't come to this place. Just don't. Because I love you so much that I don't want you to be eternally dead. So if you have your loved ones who are not believing in Jesus Christ right now, don't say, please do not say, well, I'm, I'm not going to believe in God or I'm not going to be following Jesus because I would rather be with them eternally where they are. They would tell you, don't be here, don't be in this place because heaven is real, hell is real as well. That's the reality of hell and the reality of heaven. And we need to understand that and comprehend it and embrace that. Because our lives, the lives are, are going to be lived and enjoyed better when we are embracing the reality, the reality of heaven. Life is best lived and enjoyed through embracing the reality of heaven. So Christ is reaching out to us and he says, even look at the people who have died in the past. If there were Christians, you are going to be with him. It's going to be a community. If there were not Christians, they are going to be in hell. Many people, many fallen demons, but they are going to be in their solitude. They're going to be being tormented forever. Don't be excited for hell because you may think you're going to spend life with your loved ones. But love your loved ones. Embrace Jesus. Love him so much. Pray for your relatives, for your friends, for everybody. Please pray for them. Share the gospel. Plead with them. Love them. Don't condemn them for the things they do. Love them. Don't agree with the things they do. Just lovingly expose and pray for them. Don't shun those people. That's the reality of heaven. This is the best motivator that we can have. That when it comes to the people that we are going to spend eternity with the believing loved ones. But we need to do our act. We, we, we heard it before. That God commissioned us so that we would share the gospel. Would make disciples to the ends of the earth. Starting one by one. Starting with the place where you live. So here's the true question. If you really say you really love somebody, if you say that you really love somebody, the best act of love is praying for them and sharing the gospel with those people. Because this way you're going to love them to eternity. This way you're going to love them to eternity. Very important thing for us to understand. So the first and the first motivation for us was secured life in the presence of God. The second one, the spending eternity with believing, believing loved ones. The third, uh, the third, um, the third uh, motivation we said it's the bulletproof foundation. It's the bulletproof. It's a proven foundation. We're gonna go back. I'll come to the first Thessal uh, uh, Thessalonians chapter four. We're gonna see that together. It's a bulletproof foundation that consists of three different things. The first one, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
In, in verse 14, we, said, uh, we read, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So we have the bulletproof foundation. You will see it on the, on the screens right now. It's going to be kind of looking forward to that place. It's a bulletproof foundation that we have. The first one, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because death could not hold Jesus Christ, Christ in Hades, in hell. Could not. There was nothing for death to actually just like, you know, to, uh, place a hook over something like that. No, it's just not happening this way. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ rose again, he overcame death, he became victorious, and in him he placed everybody in him, and with his resurrection, he resurrected us. So bulletproof foundation in Jesus Christ himself. Number two, God's master plan Salvation, so-called, right? So big plan, salvation, revealed to us in greater details. The big plan of salvation is revealed to us in greater details. We would see that the first one, in verse 15, it says this. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. This we declare to you. It's taken from God. We're going to tell you how, how things will go about. We will go through this. We will go together through this, okay? So we will grow through this. So, and we, we see that. So because we know that God always accomplished his purposes. We read earlier, okay, in the Bible, we just read earlier that God is going to save his people. You know, it was, it was his thing in verse 9. It says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but obtain salvation. He destined us, obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with Him. So that's the greatest foundation. God accomplishes everything that He wants to. In Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, it says about God accomplishing His goals, that so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. I am God, he says. I am God. You know, God really, he, he destined, he, he conveyed, us, conveyed the plan. He told that the plan was to save us. Again, I'm going to read this. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 11 9 through 11, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up as you are doing. You know, it goes back. So God decided to save us. And please, guys, right now, okay, go to the, to the screens with, with, so that we can follow together like, with this. So uh, we will see like, the, the, the passage that is written that God revealed his master plan to us. It was said earlier, before, before Jesus Christ was born, but yet he was already conceived, that in Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 through 23, Matthew 1 through 21... 21 through 23, it says that the prophecy about Jesus Christ that an angel told Mary, the mom of Jesus, right? Uh, this is what we read. She will bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Jesus. That means deliverer, by the way. For he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So we see that the salvation of and spending eternity with his people is God's intent for humanity. And it was like that from the get-go. I'm going to read this phrase again. Salvation of and spending eternity with his people is God's intent for humanity. More than that, not only he said so, he defined the process. He said how things will be happening. You know, there's a well-defined process. We just read that, that we will meet Jesus in heaven. Like, you know, he, the, the dead, uh, who, the people who died in Christ, they will rise again. And those, those people who are, were left here on earth, they will be here. So, so they're, they're going to stay like that. We will going to meet together in heaven. We will grow together through Jesus Christ. But then it says that chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 3, it's, it, it continues on. It, the, the master plan is being revealed even more. Its title is The Day of the Lord. We read chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Now concerning the times and the seasons. So I just spoke to you. Let me give you more details. If you, if you didn't trust me this, let me give you more details that Lord Jesus gave me. I'm telling you now. Now concerning the times and the seasons. Brothers, you have no need uh, to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in, in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. So there are more details. We will study one day the whole uh, events of future, the eschatology. There's a big doctrine, right? Something that will take place in the future. This is what's going to be happening. But God says, not only I intended intended to save you, I made a well-defined step-by-step plan carefully thought everything through. Okay? So that's the great motivation. That's the great foundation that we have in Christ. So we just read through this that our life is secured by Jesus Christ. Great motivation to follow Jesus and go through difficult times. That we can spend our lifetime with the people that we love and we can spend eternity with them. Greatest motivation. There is a bulletproof foundation, and only Christianity has that. That infallible word of God, unbreakable word of God. Many people tried to disprove that, but they were found wrong. So Christ conveyed that information. He carefully, Holy Spirit carefully preserved the Bible for us. That great foundation, that great foundation was sealed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Was, uh, was revealed, revealed to us with the greatest intent. And so we see that it is just a great motivation to keep on loving, to keep on believing, to keep on growing in Christ. Because heavens are real. So let us read very quickly 
Through the same motivation that we read earlier, like like gain love, fear, status, and long-term perspective. But now let's read everything through these terms right now. So basically right now we're going to read the motivators, motivators through the lenses of heaven. So that the first one we talked about, gain or benefit, it's life in the presence of God with your loved ones. Great gain, great benefit. Love or affection. We need to know that you are eternally loved and accepted by Jesus. That's love and acceptance. Fear, you feel that you are in danger to lose that. And your loved ones who are, or the people who've gone to hell before, they tell you, don't go there. Don't go there. Because if you are not going to follow Jesus, you are going to end up in hell. Not in heaven in hell forever by yourself being tormented status and recognition we know that the highest position in heaven after god of course is the child of god and that position is given to us now not one day not someday but is given to us now and first in first john chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 we're going to read this See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Not just called, but be them. So we are. The the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children when? Now! I mean, I just want to yell this word now, that we are God's children now, but I'm afraid that actually some, like the eardrums are going to just flow out of your, uh, so that's uh, now, not maybe, not when some other religions say, work hard, give hard, do good, and maybe you'll be in heaven. God says, I've given you everything, you are in heaven now, your life is changed, you are going to be like Jesus, and now. So the heaven is not just a futuristic idea, it's the present reality. The heaven, the life in heaven is not some futuristic idea, it's the, it's the present reality in which we live. And we love that, and we enjoy that. I'm going to finish now. So beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when it, he appears, Jesus, when he, Jesus appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And a long-term perspective is the eternity. And eternity is the longest long-time perspective. We're, given, we're, we're blessed by God to have a lot of that. We're blessed by God to follow Jesus with that. I am more encouraged after today to follow Jesus and to, uh, to follow his footsteps. Life is best lived and enjoyed through embracing the reality of heaven. Life is best lived and enjoyed through embracing the reality of heaven. And let me tell you one thing that God has blessed us with heaven so much. We have fellowship with Christ. It's something we will have in heaven and it's something that we have now. We have a great community of God's family that is called church. We will be that community in heaven, and we are that community when? Now. 
We are spending that time and we are vested into one another. And we are sharing the same blessings and benefits. And we are sharing that now, not only when we're going to be in heaven. So this is so amazing. And God has already comforted us in heaven by so many different things. So believing in heaven, to have that life's strongest motivation. You know, heaven has motivated us to continue on. Heaven has motivated us to continue on. You know, heaven, there are numerous accounts when heaven was revealed to people, when people saw that what's going on in heaven right now, that, and that it really changed their life and attitude. On one account, Jacob, like, you know, he had a confirmation of the promise given to his father Abraham by seeing heaven. God was preparing the nation of Israel, Moses and about 70 other elders of the nation of Israel. He confirmed that. He showed them his presence. And he comforted them. This is what I'm going to go, this is what I'm going to go through you. He was preparing the people to receive God's commandment. You know, and sometimes we need to see that glimpse of heaven to agree to what God says. And he will, he will show it to us. We will see a certain miracle or a certain thing happening to us. And it will give us strength to continue on, to accept what God has told us in his word. God has given reassurance to Moses by showing him heaven. It was the reassurance that he understood God's will correctly. He sealed it. He showed. He revealed his glory to him. We see that actually heaven is going to be, when we see that heaven, like, in a, like in a, one of the prophets, he's, he saw the Lord sitting upon his throne. It was, and he did that, he received, he saw that heaven while God was revealing him the truth and the lies. We see that Isaiah, it says in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, it says that he was cleansed and prepared for minutes when he saw heaven. That saw also, that Isaiah saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. And angels were saying, holy, holy, holy the Lord of hosts, the Lord Sabaoth. So that's the greatest heaven. So if God wants you to do something, He shows you heaven. He revealed it to us, and people confirm that. There is a, when we see heaven, it's going, to be, it's going to be inspiring for your life's calling. This is what Ezekiel saw on two different accounts. Ezekiel saw that the likeness of, the, of a throne as the appearance of the sapphire stone, and the likeness is the appearance of a man above it. He saw Jesus. So the life of Ezekiel was really different. God wanted to, wanted to do so much through him. But he went through so many different oppressions and difficult times and diseases and sicknesses. He was spending so much time thrown in a well in a, like in a, with some, some manure. So he was like in a, almost buried in that stuff. God prepared him for life's calling by showing him heaven. God prepared and confirmed Daniel like you know, that God was present with him Daniel beheld till the throne were cast down and the ancient of days did sit we see that actually heaven is a great place not because we will be there but because God is there 
but because God is there. God strengthened people. When Stephen was stoned to death, in Acts, in Acts chapter 7, verse 55, it says, Stephen looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God by seeing heaven and being comforted by heaven. That's the inspiration that was given to him by heaven. That he was able to forgive others because he saw the heaven, saw Jesus there. Apostle Paul was strengthened to remain in the ministry amidst of difficult circumstances. Paul wrote that he knew a man, likely he talked about himself, who was caught up, uh, caught up to, the, to the third heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10, it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient to you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with the weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Heaven. He was inspired by heaven. So what inspiration do you need today? If you're going through some difficult time of your life, know that Jesus is there. He has gone before you. And he is waiting for you now, and he is waiting for you into the eternity. He is uplifting us by himself. And we will see heaven that John, in the book of Revelations, he saw heaven. It's the vision of the future reverence in the God's presence. We will take the, uh, uh, the rewards that we are given, we're going to place it before the throne of Jesus. That's the beautiful confirmation. That's the beautiful confirmation. And again, I'm going to say this one more time, that life is best lived and enjoyed through the embracing of the reality, re reality of heaven. Life is best lived and enjoyed through embracing the reality of heaven. I'm going to read well, two more passages, and we're going to participate in the communion. One of them is going to be direct, directly taken from the Revel, book of Revelation, chapter 21. This is the confirmation and the comforting and greatest motivation that we have. The apostle John was given that vision of the future, of the future events. And it ends up with the glorious picture of heaven. Chapter 21, verses, verses 1 and on, we read this. John says, then I saw a new, what? Heaven and a new earth. For the, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. 
and God himself will be with them as their God. Just see what heaven will do right now. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And the death shall be no more. Neither shall be the mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. He said, It is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment and the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son that's the statement that we have so our life's greatest motivation is the heaven itself this is why the Christianity is so contagious that we are not earning heaven we are blessed by heaven we are entrusted heaven so anything you go through right now it may hurt it may be difficult but God has already inclined heaven into your situation and he's given you the freedom and he's given you the restoration and he's given you the rest so that's the beautiful reality that we have that's the beautiful life's greatest motivation the heaven itself and in the conclusion, I'm going to read the last passage that is written in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Philippians, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to himself. So life is best lived and enjoyed through embracing the reality of heaven. Life is best lived and enjoyed through embracing the reality of heaven. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for blessing us with heaven. Thank you for coming on earth, living the life, dying the death, Thank you for your resurrection by which you sealed heaven for us. You've given us a chance to experience your love. You've given us that life's greatest motivation. That you are not, a God, you're not God for us just here on earth. You are going to be the God for us forever. You are not going to change. Your love will never stop. You will keep on leading us to eternity. And help us to treasure that. Help us to be blessed by heaven. Inspired by heaven. Led to heaven. Enjoy heaven now. To share the gospel of kingdom of heaven. We're so thrilled by that. 
and there is no one can snatch it away. Nobody can stop it. Nobody can rob. Nothing will do that, God. We thank you. And thank you for securing it by your, your death. Thank you for coming and dying on our behalf. And we are praying so that you would bless this bread and the wine that we're going to take. Help us to do it in remembrance of you. Help us to go to you, live through you, live for you, and go to heaven with you, and live by heaven, by the blessings of heaven now. Father God, you know that we go through some difficult times in our lives. And you come to us, you, you hug us, you embrace us. And you tell us, and you tell us that it might be difficult right now, but the life's perspective the long-term perspective is absolutely beautiful so stay faithful keep on loving be a part of the church grow together contribute together love together save people be generous be, we, we ask you father so that you would work in us and through us for your glory so we're blessing this bread and the wine in your name in the name of jesus christ amen